0: Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Andrea Wolfler, MD, about the article, Evolution of Non-Invasive Mechanical Ventilation Use, a Cohort Study Among Italian PICUs, published in the June 2015 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Wolfler is a medical doctor in the Department of Anesthesia and Intensive Care at the Children's Hospital in Milan, Italy. Welcome, Dr. Wolfler, we're glad to have you here today.
1: Good afternoon and thank you, Dr. Parker, for inviting me in your podcast.
0: Thank you. Would you start by giving us some background for your study and what led you to do this study?
1: Uh, yes, sure. Although non-invasive mechanical ventilation is more and more used in intensive care unit, both adult and pediatric ICU, in children we do not have yet a solid literature except for newborn. So. Since the development of the Italian PICU registry, we recognized that many units have a high expertise on non-invasive ventilation use, and so we decided to collect data to show it is effective and may be used routinely with efficacy. And because of the missing of large literature on non-invasive ventilation in children, indeed most of the published studies are small single-center trials, and moreover, mainly on specific disease like bronchiolitis, our aim was to describe the experience of our group of PICUs. The the network is of 16 PICUs, and during different years, reinforcing the idea that increasing NAVUs improve confidence and expertise of the PICU team.
0: So how did you do this study?
1: Well, this is a, a retrospective observational study of an ongoing national registry. In 2010, we implemented the ventilation form in the registry, which is an online registry, in order to know some information on mechanical ventilation, like uh, what is the, the reason for mechanical ventilation, I mean, why the child need, needs a ventilation, timing of ventilation uh, beginning, so before PSU admission, on admission, or during PSU stay, and for beginning on admission, we use within one hour from the from the PSU admission because the same variable is in the mortality risk score, which is the pediatric index of mortality. And then other information were the uh, which kind of mechanical ventilation was used, like endotracheal incubation or non-invasive ventilation, and if there were changes in the method of ventilation. And also we recorded which kind of interface nasal cannula or facial mask, like oral mask, nasal mask, or helmet for CPAP, and which technique was used. And in the study, we presented data of the first two years of study, so 2011 and 2012, and we compared this data with an historical cohort of children collected a few years before in 2006, and this population was in part published in PCCM in a paper on invasive mechanical ventilation.
0: What did you find when you looked at the use of non-invasive ventilation in your multicenter registry?
1: Well, the major finding was that non-invasive, non-invasive mechanical ventilation use increased in 10 PICUs use during time, both as first technique on admission and for winning purpose from endotracheal intubation. Overall, the non-invasive ventilation rate was about 8%, but when we considered only Those children who received mechanical ventilation on admission or during PSU stay, so when we remove children who were admitted already on mechanical ventilation, mainly already intubated, Mm -hmm. the uh, non invasive ventilation rate increased to more than 15%. And the trend over time is nice from 11% in 2006 to 18% in 2012. And in that year, the number of children underwent ventilatory support after PSC admission in non noninvasive way was higher than children intubated. And if we look more in deep in the respiratory group, the noninvasive ventilation use doubles the endotracheal use.
0: Interesting. I think that that experience is probably happening in many other areas as well. Was there a difference in how non-invasive ventilation was used in different patient groups, by age, by diagnosis, by other factors over time? Uh,
1: Not so different over time. The main difference was that centers who used less non-invasive ventilation in 2006 increased their use mailing winning purpose to prevent reintubation uh-huh. or to help children after winning from the endotracheal tube. And probably it's not a, res- a clear result of, of the study, but probably it was a way to improve the expertise
0: of the team. And you mentioned that you looked at different methods to deliver non-invasive ventilation, both in terms of the techniques and the interface. What kinds of experience did you have with that? Was there a predominant form or mode that was used?
1: Well, the most frequent method technique used in in terms of ventilation was CPAP, Uh which accounted for about 60% of all the non-invasive ventilation. And it works very well. Epoxy acute respiratory failure. And in our population, but I can say in Italy, there is a widespread use of the helmet as first choice of interface to deliver CPAP. And the helmet was used more than 70% of children who received CPAP. The helmet is really well tolerated and so it's used very often in Italy. And the second technique was assisted pressure control ventilation which was more used for older children or acute and chronic children who have more often an association of hypoxia and hypercapnia. So in those children, we needed not only a positive and expiratory pressure, but also a higher tidal volume and an expiratory pressure to remove uh, carbon dioxide.
0: It looks from uh, one of the figure four in your paper that the interface by which non-invasive ventilation was delivered varied by age with infants primarily using the helmet or nasal cannula and the nasal mask and facial masks being used in the older groups.
1: Yes, yes, this is correct. This is because the helmet is better tolerated for small children, for infants, and so it was easier to use the helmet then. More than another mask or another another mask in in small children, so we could deliver uh, the nasal ventilation, avoiding sedation.
0: Did you have to use sedation in some of the children getting NIV? Well,
1: this is an interesting point. We observed a small number of children who needed sedation during NIV, less than 10%, and we think that usually. Agitation is the consequence of hypoxia more than interface discomfort and uh, anyway, when there was a sedation, medazolam was a drug of choice and it works properly without affecting the respiratory drive and at the time of the study, dexedematonidine was not yet approved in Italy Mm -hmm. while now it is and of course it represents a glamorous alternative to benzodiazepine.
0: Do you have any data on high flow nasal cannula?
1: No, no, unfortunately we don't have data because although we consider this technique in the list of uh, NAV methods that entry could choose in the form, uh, dissemination of this technique is very slow in Italy and at the time of the study only two, three units had this system available.
2: Uh-huh.
1: In some of the centers, high fluency cannula are used outside the PICU in the ward. And uh, or in the emergency room, and if it fails, children are admitted in the PICU and they are shifted to NIV or endotracheal intubation.
0: You mentioned that commonly NIV is used in weaning after extubation to prevent reintubation, but a certain population of patients were started initially on NIV and never actually required intubation. But what about the kids who start initially with non-invasive? ventilation and fail and have to get endotracheal intubation. How often did that occur?
1: Well, unfortunately, failure increased over time up to 15%. That, Despite all, we don't think it's a, it's a better rate. And the higher rate of failure was observed among children with ARDS, more than 40% of this population failed NIV. And why failure for other forms of acute respiratory distress like bronchiolitis or pneumonia or acute and chronic respiratory failure had an acceptable failure rate between 5 and 15 percent and hypoxia alone or together with hypercapnia was a mere reason of failure while intolerance of NAV as failure reason was reported in few children And contrary to what we expected, failure did not happen after a short time, like one or two hours from NIV beginning, but after a longer time, 10, 15, 20 hours.
0: Interesting. So you didn't have difficulty with the, particularly the toddler age group, with tolerating non-invasive ventilation in most cases? Well, the higher
1: rate of failure was observed in infants, and while older children have a very low failure rate, NIV.
0: Do you think there are children in whom we should not try non-invasive ventilation initially? You mentioned that the children with ARDS had the highest rate of failure for NIV. Should we go straight into tracheal intubation? What are your What are your thoughts on selecting patients for a trial of NIV?
1: Yes, yes. I think this is one of our conclusions. I mean, when we have an ARDS moderate or severe, if we follow the new Berlin definition, we think that we should not submit to an NIV trial these kids due to the high risk of failure. And probably it fails because ARDS needs a very high pressure, both positive and expiratory pressure and inspiratory pressure. And although we use a a no-leak system in an invasive ventilation, it is very difficult to maintain the same our pressure, as in an intubated patient, mm-hmm. so probably this is one of, of, of the reason because NIV fail in with with severe acute respiratory failure.
0: But those children might potentially be candidates for NIV use after extubation to sort of bridge them and prevent reintubate need for reintubation once they've finally been weaned.
1: Yeah, yes, yeah, for sure. I think that this is an idea we have to keep in mind that. As soon as possible, we can shift from endotracheal intubation to NIV mm-hmm. because if we shorten the intubation time, we prevent infection and uh, barotrauma, trauma, everything who can damage the child.
0: Right, right. Was there much difference from the different institutions and in how NIV was used, either how it was applied or how often it was used or so forth? Was there much difference from institution to institution?
1: Yes, we find that we don't have an homogeneous distribution of NAV use across the country. There are centers who have a high expertise and who really manage a lot of children in NAV and centers who have just started to use NAV. And so we really hope to increase the use for all the centers and that all intensivists recognize the efficacy of this technique and that considered an NIV trial for all the patients who can use this technique.
0: So what what are the implications of this study for our care of children in the PICU? What are your suggestions for how we should use NIV?
1: Well, we hope that NIV use will become increasingly popular and friendly to the intensivist. And probably an, an early use of NIV is effective to prevent deteriorating respiratory distress and, and then avoid endotracheal an intubation. We, we had in the last two years, we had a small series of infants who were transported from general hospital to the pediatric PICU with ongoing NAV during the transport, mainly with the helmet. And the transport team was comfortable with this technique. So I think it's just a matter of habit. I mean,
0: we need to be used to, to NAV as much as possible. So it has a lot to offer for a lot of children, although certainly not every child, but probably the majority of kids with some element of respiratory distress might warrant a trial of NIV initially. That- yes, yes, because I think that NIV is is really
1: powerful technique. I mean, if, if we think that we can win off the ventilator children with less than 20% of FRC and support them in the early postoperative phase of surgical Correction of scoliosis, for example, I, I think that it's, it's really um, important method. We, we we need to be expert and and keep in mind that we have this like it's it's a weapon we have, and I think we we should use it.
0: Yeah, we can certainly reduce a lot of complications which are related to endotracheal intubation, as you have said, and shorten the duration of mechanical ventilation very often, or certainly at least mechanical ventilation with endotracheal intubation, and so safer, in many cases, safer for the child and less expensive and shortens yeah. uh, length, length of stay in, in if it's successful. So I share your enthusiasm for increasing the experience with NIV and appreciate this contribution that you have made to the literature. Do you have any final comments you'd like to make? I think
1: that the, the PIC team should should be aware that NIV is a time-spending technique and it requires to often to check the interface fitting to see if you have too many leaks and to assess the respiratory effort. So it's not just a short way of care and cure, but you, 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 should, you should be on the patient every, all the time.
0: Right, right. You can't put it on and walk away. Well, thank you very much for talking with us today, Dr. Wilfler. Thank you. Thank you for your interview. Thank you very much. We have been talking today with Dr. Andrea Wolfler about the article, Evolution of Non-Invasive Mechanical Ventilation Use, a Cohort Study Among Italian PICUs, published in the June 2015 issue of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Thank you for joining us today. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. Please check out our website at www.sccm.org iCriticalCare for more information. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker.
2: Have you listened to SCCM Pod 231 on Family Presence, Evidence versus Emotion, or SCCM Pod 232 on Assessing Family Satisfaction? SCCM wants to know how these Project Dispatch sponsored podcasts changed or influenced your practice. To provide feedback, contact SCCM's Director of Quality, Lori Harmon, at L. Harmon at sccm.org. Or to learn more about SCCM's Project Dispatch, visit wwwsccmorg Project Dispatch. Margaret Parker, MD, FCCM, serves as an associate editor for the Eye Critical Care podcasts. Dr. Parker is professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York and is the Director of the Pediatric Intensive Care Unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. A former President of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, Dr. Parker is involved in quality improvement and standardization of care in the pediatric ICU, as well as resident education. Her clinical interests include severe sepsis and septic shock in children. The Critical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved.